Thank you so much for coming this evening. We appreciate the good crowd we have. We're going to be looking at the, some of the statements in First Peter, the second chapter tonight, talking about that just a little bit. We spent some of our morning hours looking together and looking at the first chapter of 1 Peter, where Peter really shows us that uh, he tells us where we're going in this living hope that God has given to us, uh, that, uh, that we're headed toward heaven is what we're doing. And he helps us to see right now we're in the trouble and the problems of suffering and struggling, so we sometimes lose sight of the fact that God knew that, God planned it, so don't, don't expect everything to go well here because it's not going to be that way. And then to realize that the reason we're here is because the prophets of old foretold this is what it would be. And so God planned this and foretold it would happen this way. We noted also that when we think about the fact of the matter, that becoming a Christian, what do we do? How do you become a Christian? What it's about? What's people who, first of all, wrap their mind around Jesus, and they roll up the sleeves of their mind, and they go to work. You get your mindset, and you get your life in line. You become holy because God is holy. And you live with reverence and all of God because what God says is valuable to you. You purify your soul in obeying the truth. You've been redeemed with precious blood, Peter tells us. All these principles. And we do that because we purified our souls with this gospel message that has been preached to us. Now, we'll notice where Peter goes next. After telling us this message is going to outlast us all, it's going to outlast the world and time because it's a message that will never pass away. Now, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 1. Conclusion now, based upon what we've seen thus far. Wherefore, uh, wherefore, lay aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, evil uh, uh, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, if this word is what purifies our soul, Peter now tells us there's something else we need to realize about it. If we're, we're going to be born again in this word, it's how we begin. We've got to realize every day we've got to have an appetite for it. When you think about the statement Jesus made in Matthew the 5th chapter, in verse 6, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Have you ever thought about what that indicates and really what we're seeing here? Here's a picture of us desiring the pyramid of the Word that we may grow and doing it like a newborn babe. When you think about people who are hungry and thirsty, have you ever really been hungry? I don't think we know what hunger is. I, I, had, I, I went one time in my life five days without food. I got dizzy, I got weak. And I thought, how am I going to survive this? I went five solid days without any food. I went one other time, three days without water. There was a parasite in the water where I was. They said, if you drink the water, you may die from it. I went three days without water. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was so thirsty. I said, I have got to drink water, even if I die from it. And so I put water in a cup, and I said, God, I've got to drink this. I'm going to die if I don't. And I said, I may die if I do, but I want you to bless this water. And I'm going to drink it, and I hope that I survive from it. And I drank it and went to bed, and I thought a volcano went off in my stomach. But I got up the next day and was okay. But my point is, I know, I have experienced a little bit of what it is. I don't know that we understand and realize what Jesus is trying to tell us about being somebody who's really hungry. And somebody who's really thirsty for the righteousness that God can provide. Jesus said, I'll tell you, that's the person that's blessed. And that person, Jesus said, will be filled. And you know, have you ever thought about hunger for a minute or two? And you know, hunger and thirst are very painful and very uncomfortable. They're sometimes unknown to us because in America, I mean, how many of us miss very many meals? You can look at us, you know, and tell we're not missing too many meals and we don't get too thirsty. 
But when you think about the world Jesus was living in, and the world is still out in other parts of the world, where people still know about that, they know what Jesus meant. I'm afraid we don't know that. But you know, when somebody is really hungry and really thirsty, you know what you can tell? You can tell it. And have you ever seen a baby, for example? My wife and I, when our first child was born, we'd made an agreement that uh, she was going to breastfeed our children. So my job was to go and get the child when it was screaming, and then whenever night or day, and to bring it to my wife, and then she would take care of it, and I would take it back. That was my job. And so sometimes I'd try to act like I was dead asleep and didn't hear it, and she'd kind of nudge me on my job, so I'd get the baby, and I'd bring the baby. But you know what? I'd, I'd pick the baby up and rock it. I'd see if it needed a diaper. I'd try everything on the sun. I would try to keep from having to wake my wife up, and it wouldn't work. That baby had to have milk. That's all there was to it. And so nothing else, you could not satisfy that. Here's something Jesus is telling us and Peter's telling us that if we can come to understand that unless we develop a real hunger and a real thirst for being right with God and having a desire just like a newborn babe for that, we're not going to be what we ought to be. We're not going to become the kind of people. We're not going to be able to live the right kind of life. And so Peter is helping us see what Jesus made it clear to us to see, that when somebody's hungry, it's obvious, and it's uncomfortable, it's unknown to many of us today, but when somebody really does have it, you can see it. I, I, I like to tell about myself, and I'm sorry about that, but uh, when I uh, determined that I was lost and I, I needed to do what was right, I, I couldn't read. I'd gone through high school and couldn't read, so I got the Bible on tape, and I began to listen to the Bible on tape every night, when I'd come home from work and listen to it at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd go to bed at 4 o'clock, get up at 6 and go to work. I don't know what was going on. I didn't get sleepy. All I knew was I was starving for God. I knew I was lost, and I knew it was not going to be some mechanical thing where I could just pull a lever and well, everything would go away. I knew, as I saw in the Bible and began to listen to it, that it's kind of like babies growing up. It's a process that takes time. Or like Jesus saying that it's a whole or a agricultural thing where you, you plant a seed in the ground and you watch that seed grow up in somebody. Or it's like the dawning of a day, as Peter taught Second Peter 1. 19. It's not like turning on floodlights somewhere and you become a Christian. All of a sudden it's bright and light. You know everything. It's like the sun coming up in the morning. And it begins to dawn until the sun gets in the high noon and the dawning of the day is on you and you can see everything around you. That's the way it is to be a Christian. And Peter's saying what we need to understand is, unless we have this kind of a desire, and I'm afraid sometimes that it's not very common for people to ever get it, and sometimes people never get it. And I'll tell you, they go to church and they obey the gospel, but they never become hungry and thirsty to try to be filled up with the righteous, being right with God, and to take the Word of God that we're born again with and to begin to grow so we can grow up, you see, and have the right kind of attitude, the right kind of disposition. So Peter tells us here, what we've got to do first of all is we've got to lay aside all those things that are going to get in our way to see the truth and to love the truth and to grow by the truth. And that is we've got to get rid of all this malice and ill will and jealousy, evil speaking, slander. You know, slander is saying sometimes things that are true, but they shouldn't be told. I know a lot of things about people that, that, are, that they've done that are wrong, but I don't need to tell them about that because that doesn't need to be told. Sometimes we just love to tell things because we want to slander somebody. Ill will toward people. Uh, people come into the church building and they don't realize, you know, if you're sitting here with ill will, my sermon is not going to have much of an impact and you might get mad at me as a result of it. But what you need to learn is just like Matthew 5.21, if you've got ill will your brother right now, you ought to get up and get your brother and go outside and go out in the parking lot and straighten it out and come on back in. Then we'll go to worshiping God. I tell about my son, Matt, who was here this morning, went with me to Kenya years ago. 
And we went to a congregation. We'd heard this congregation was split and divided. And several of the preachers, they were fussing it. And they were having all kinds of trouble. And so um, my son, we, we were told that by some people. So my son said, Dad, let me see if I can handle this. He was, I think, 21 years old. I said, son, are you sure you don't think maybe I... He said, no, Dad, let me try it. I said, okay. So he got up. He said, well, I want you, brother, to know we're getting ready to worship God. And we can't worship God in spirit and truth if we've got ill will toward each other. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, we can't have that. And we, and we need to go and tend to it before we get started. So you, brethren, that are sitting in this building right now, know you've been gossiping and slandering each other and causing division. We're going to sit here and wait till you all get up and go out across the street over in that little building across the street. And go over and talk this out and pray together and settle this issue. And we're not going to do a thing till you all come back so we can worship God. So he said, and so he sat down. And I thought, now how's this going to work? I don't think these guys are going to get. In a few minutes, I saw some getting up and talking. One was pointing over, and some up here in the front pointing back over. And five men went out and went across the street. And we could hear them when they got over there. They first got over. They were letting the pressure off of what they felt about each other. And then we heard them quietly talking. And we thought maybe somebody was praying. And then they came back and they came up in front of the church and said, we've all admitted we've had bad will toward each other, ill will, and we want to worship God right, and we want to stop that right now and stand as God's people together and go to heaven one day. And then they sat down, and Matt got up and preached a good sermon. I thought, amazing. But if we can learn good people, what we've got to do is get rid of all this ill will. The reason the church gets in such trouble and ends up dividing is ill will sets among the ranks of God's people for years. Uh, I heard about two old farmers for years fussing all the time in church. For years they did that. And finally, somebody just said, what is the real trouble, you two guys? And one of them said, I'll tell you what it is. This guy brought my hay rope 20 years ago and never brought it back. And the church split over that. Can you imagine? And, you know, we, we do the silliest thing sometimes, failing to see that unless we get rid of this ill will toward each other and get over it and get along, and realize you better get over this because if you don't, God's not going to get over what you've done. You better work at that and, and go to work. If you've got some problem with somebody, a man up in Illinois was preaching about forgiveness, and he heard that somebody went home and said he called a guy I went to school with. He said, 56 years ago in high school, he called this old one and said, you, you said this to me when we were seniors in high school, and it has bothered me all these years, and I couldn't forgive you, and that's why we've been having all this trouble. And the guy said, I didn't know why we couldn't get along. That's what it was. He said, I said that to you years ago. He said, yeah. He said, well, I didn't realize I was such a silly person to talk like that to you. He said, could you please forgive me? And the old boy said, yeah, I'll be glad to forgive you. And so he said, well, why did you wait 56 years? Why do we do that? We sat in here with something that's wrong for 56 years and think we're going to worship. We're not going to worship God right that way. We're not going to be God's people. And the Word of God is not going to be able to get a chance to help us unless we first of all lay aside. You gotta get rid of all those bad attitudes, you see. So just you, just wells go to work at it. And if you got some problem, somebody go out in the parking lot tonight and shake your hands and say, listen, I got some trouble with you, but I love you, and I'm gonna try to get over and kiss them on the head and say, I'll talk to you later. And just go on home and go to work and pray about that and get over it. And then notice when Peter tells us that if we desire this new, after we lay that aside, and desire this word as a newborn babe desires milk, sincere, pure milk, that we might grow thereby. And that's what we all need to do. We all need to grow up. He then says to us in verse 5, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so if you if you read and study the gospel, you know what you'll learn about the Lord and why you want to get rid of those things? Because you will know that the Lord has been gracious to you. 
When you taste of this grace and this mercy that God has given, and you come to understand that's what God has done for you, that will cause you to want to show grace and mercy to other people. And so if you will drink and taste and eat this food and drink this water, this spiritual food, this soul food that's in the Bible, and have a stronger desire to learn it and memorize it, it will cause you to understand that you need to be merciful to other people. You'll learn that by reading your Bible. That's what it will do. It will make a merciful person out of you. Uh, I, I tell about my... Two sons. Joshua Town, he's heard, remember some old stories. He's heard me preach for years, but I like to tell this story about my two boys, uh, Scott and Matt, were here this morning, or John and Matt. And John was always a lot bigger than Scott, and they would play a game called Mercy, and they'd lock their fingers together. And, and old John, he was bigger, he'd get Scott down, he'd get him bent over and about break his fingers and break his back. And Scott would say, Mercy, Mercy. And when you say that, you're supposed to stop. And John would hold on to him, he said, You don't deserve it. He'd just keep on doing it, you know. Well, I saw that one day. I said, John, how about me and you playing that game? John was about 14 years old. And he said, oh, I don't know, Dad. He was looking. He was about my size. I, said, I don't know, Dad. I don't know if I want to try it. You know. I said, I just want to try it one time. I want to see how it works. He said, okay, Dad. Well, I got him, see. And I got him all knuckled down. I got his back about to break. And he said, Dad, Dad, have mercy, have mercy. I said, you don't deserve it. He said, Dad, that's why you're supposed to give it. I thought, isn't this strange? When he needed mercy, old buddy, he knew exactly what it was. But when his brother needed it, no, you don't deserve it. You see what we do with each other? We know, God, I, if I ever get to heaven, if I ever see the portals of heaven, it's going to be because God has shown mercy to me. But somebody gets on my under my skin and bothers me, no mercy for you. Because you don't deserve it. We better wake up and see. That if we'll grow in this grace and this knowledge and learn to be like God and taste it, the Lord is gracious. But notice what he says in verse 4. He said, To whom coming is as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now notice we're going to talk now about this, this stone that we're coming to, or continually coming to. This is the idea of a coming always and continually coming to. Coming to this living stone, this living stone that God has chosen and that is precious to God, but men rejected. Here are two estimations of Jesus, two viewings of Jesus, one of them by human beings, the other one by God. And what God is saying, let me tell you something about your life. Jesus is the precious stone. He's the living stone. And if you'll come to Him and realize He is the rock of ages. Uh, I one time arena of the, of the rock of Gibraltar and got down below that thing as an ignoramus not knowing much from school and got down to the bottom of it and was walking, hiking around there and kicked that thing on the bottom there was a piece sticking out and I thought, what in the world is that down there? And I got down and got to looking at it and I thought it was just a stone down there and I realized I, I got to look at that piece of granite and it just kept on and I kept looking and I was looking for a crack somewhere and that thing was a part of the foundation of that rock of ages been standing there for thousands of years and I thought, boy, that is not going to be moved. That's permanent. And when you think about architecture and what they do, you know what? Men build a building. My sons have construction to them and construction companies. I love to work with them. And when you're beginning to build a building, one thing you want to do is make sure when you start out putting that first stone, wherever you're going to put it, you better make sure you got it where you want it. And when you start building out this way and going out that way, you better make sure you've got things square and you got them in the right place. Because if you throw that one stone off, maybe get a, a different or an offset stone, and you start building off of a di- different size stone, you're going to say, this thing's not fitting and it doesn't make sense and we've got to throw everything away because we threw off the first stone we should have used that should have made everything fit. Here's the stone that we come to and build our life on the rock of ages that men sometimes reject. 
And this is a statement taken from Isaiah the 28th chapter, Isaiah the 8th chapter, you find it also, found in the Psalms, a picture where God shows them in Isaiah the 8th chapter that God, He laid this stone in this sanctuary for His people, but it became a stumbling block to them. Where they should have come, where they should have drawn to worship God and to come close to God, they rejected that. This stone that was so critical, so valuable, men disallowed it. They threw it aside and tried to build religion without Jesus in the middle of it. And I, I was talking to a banker one time. And uh, I said, well, how's the banking business going? He said, well, we've got a little problem right now. I said, what is it? He said, well, we're missing $3 million. I said, oh, oh, yeah, you're missing $3 million. I said, are you going to have your job? Run? He said, oh, yeah, it's no problem. I said, well, what do you mean, no problem? He said, it's in the book somewhere. We just don't know where it is. You know, that's what people do with Jesus. God is saying, let me tell you, you better put the $3 million where it should be and know where it is. Here's the thing that gives life meaning and purpose. The reason why you're alive, the reason the world was made because Jesus made it. Everything about life, He gives meaning to every bit of it. And what we should do, good people, is make Him the cornerstone of everything we do and build on the rock of ages. But some men don't do that. Now let me tell you, they don't despise Jesus many times. I talk to a lot of people all the time. They're fairly good people and sometimes similar, uh, semi-honest people and, and do a lot of good things. And they don't hate Jesus. All they simply do is put Jesus on the sideline. They don't want Jesus. And the reason they don't want Him is because they don't want Him to be their master. They don't have to do what He says. And so they just kind of throw Him aside. And they try to make sense out of life. And sometimes they'll come ask me questions. But why, why is life this way? Why does, if there is a God, why does He do this? I said, let me tell you, the reason why you don't understand, you're throwing the cornerstone away. You can't begin to build a life and know what life's about until you begin to see you've got to come to the living stone. And you've got to begin to build on where he built. And do, because this stone is the stone that everything else is measured by. And so it shows us here that God has put Jesus at this place of being the cornerstone and the capstone of all of it. And what men do is men disallow. Men throw him aside and try to make sense out of life and sense out of religion. And they just can't make any sense out of it. And so he tells us then in the next verse, since He's the living stone we're to come to, that God has chosen, that is God's elect, and the one that God says is precious, He says, Ye also now, our living stones are built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God by Jesus Christ. Now notice something, we're talking here about the spiritual house. So what is that? We're talking about the church for a minute or two. And I want you to ask yourself, what, how do you view the church? We just saw how men view Jesus. But now, how do you view the church? I want you to see how God views it. God says, let me tell you. Christians are living stones built upon this living rock, this stone. Here's a temple of God, a spiritual temple of people that can shed tears, can have feelings, can love. This is not like in the Old Testament when they had a physical temple they went to and they thought they had God confined in that physical temple there many times. I read one time by a little boy that was trying to figure out where God is. He, his mom was trying to tell him that God transcends. God is over everything and he, he sees everything and saturates everything, knows what it's all about. And, and so the little boy said, well, you mean God is everywhere? And the mother said, well, yeah, son, he's everywhere. He said, you mean God is in the kitchen, mom? He said, oh, yeah, God's in the kitchen. He said, you mean God is in my milk glass? And, and she said, well, yeah, son, he's in your milk too. So he put his hands and said, ah, I got you now, God. That's what we want to do with God. We want to catch him somewhere. We want to find him somewhere. I, I heard about a little girl, uh, the preacher said one time, what would you do if, if Jesus, you went to the door and Jesus had knocked on your door and wanted to come in? Oh, she said, I, 
I'd get him a glass of milk and call the preacher. You know, we want to get the specialists to come, you know. We don't realize that we're priests and we're supposed to be these people who are serving God. And we look at each other and we see these flaws and problems and disagreements with each other. And so we don't see the church the way God sees it. There was a man named Zeke Bishop. I shouldn't have told you that. I'm sorry. This man came to church years ago. And uh, he was a, a man like myself. He had grown up in the country. He wasn't educated. And he had a lot of uh, things about him. Uh, when I was born in the country, we just took a bath on Saturday. And I always said when my grandparents came in the barn, I could tell without seeing whether it was grandma or grandpa. I could smell which one it was. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but that's the way we were, see. And when Zeke would come, well, he was, you know, he didn't think anything bad about it. He was an old country boy. He didn't have any education. So he would come in. He would sit up along the front here. And as, as time went on, he heard some people talking. Are they going to let that stinking old man sit up there in the front like that? Do? Why don't they do something about that? He heard that. He went to the back door and said, Gary, I won't be back. I said, what's the matter? He said, well, I'm offending people. I'm ignorant and I'm, I'm dirty and I'm just common and, and people don't like me. And I said, Zeke, I'd been going up to his house. Let me tell you what people didn't know. I'd been going to his house. He had an old, he had a trailer he lived in and there was an old farmhouse that the floor was gone out of. And he had taken that floor uh, and, and put bales of hay around the inside of that house and hung a light in the inside of it and asked me to come up there and see him one Tuesday. And I went up there on Tuesday night, rode a motorcycle up there of all things. And he said, where's your Bible? I said, I didn't bring my Bible. I thought you wanted me to visit. He said, we're waiting on you to preach. i got all my neighbors in here. We want you to preach to us. I started preaching every Tuesday night in the house of those people up there. In about two weeks, I baptized his older son. And when we did that, I had an old van. And Zeke said, well, let's go out to my pond. So we're just out here in the field a ways. And I said, well, jump in my van. We'll all go out there and baptize your son. He said, no, I'm so excited. I'm going to run in front of the He got out in the van. An old man ran out in that van, rode in front of the road. And most of us go out there so excited his son obeyed the gospel. Then some of his neighbors obeyed the gospel. And then I noticed there were signs on the side of the road when I was going up there. He had taken cardboard and take one of these shoe markers that used to polish a shoe with a, had a dial on it with a wire on there. He took those things and made some signs and put gospel meeting in Madison such and such a time and gave the address. And so I saw those signs all over the place. I said, Zeke, who's that? He said, I've been doing that. Now see, here, here was a man who was serving God, working and laboring. Now the members of the church didn't know about that. And when Zeke told me I'm not coming back, I said, Zeke, let me tell you something. Don't you let these people look at you and judge you and think you're nothing because you are a priest of the Most High God. The clothes you're wearing are your priestly robes. And that's how God sees you. And that's how I see you. And I don't care how anybody else looks at you. Do you see how we should see the church? We should see the church way. We should well, I can't get along with that person. They disagree with me about this. Or I got this here over here and this thing. That person's not being this away. And I want everybody to be just like me. And when they get to be like me, we'll be all right. We'll never make it. We'll never make it. We've got to see the church the way God sees it. Weak babes, weak Christians, people are struggling to get it going. And we've got to have compassion and mercy on each other and help each other and encourage one another to do what is right. Because God looks at us good people as living stones built upon this foundation that God has laid. His own Son. We're a spiritual house. And we're a, we're a holy priesthood. We're, and we offer up good people spiritual sacrifices. In Hebrews the 13th chapter, praise of our lips. And in verse 17, it's the good works that we do while we live. So here's this praise, here's this worship we give to God, this spiritual worship, Romans 12 tells us. That's what our, our responsibility is, to offer up the spiritual sacrifices to God. Not conform to the world, but transform. 
and being renewed in our mind and offering unto God these uh, bodies a living sacrifice and giving Him the spiritual service that we that He is due. And the writer then says to us in the next verse, in verse 6, Wherefore, another conclusion, also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or disappointed or shamed. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which, diso- uh, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And notice, here's a picture of two kind of people again. Here are those who believe and they're, and they're obedient to the gospel, and there are those who do not believe, and they have rejected the stone. And what's the problem they've done by reject? They haven't put Jesus in the center of their life. He's not the cornerstone and the thing that makes everything fit together. He's got to be in the core and the center of everything we do and think about. And until we get to that crossroad, and we begin to hunger and thirst after what is right with God, and that becomes our desire, and all of us in different levels and different ways are trying to get that job done. The writer paints this picture of Jesus and the response the people have to him, who is the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even them who, uh, are, who are disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed or destined. So here's the picture of what God knew, God destined this way. He said, everybody who will love this gospel and desire it and want to walk by it and live by it and lay these other things aside and get concerned about this, let me tell you, you're destined to stand in the sun rays of Jesus and become like and become consumed by what He said. And these words, as Jesus said in John 6, 4 and 45, are the way that God is drawing people. We can't, we can't make somebody come. Only the Lord can draw when somebody's been taught of God and has heard and has learned of the Father. Jesus said, He comes unto God. He, I, 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 that's how God draws people today. It's through these words, you see. And so we just must keep preaching these words to people. Weak or strong, sinners or people trying to do what is right, whatever it is, we've got to keep preaching to them. And so the writer says to us then, after showing us these people who struggle, they stumble at the Word, that's the problem they have. So it's the words of God to give people trouble. We've got to have the right attitude toward the Bible, you see. And then he says this in verse 9, But ye, speaking to these people, are a chosen or an elect generation or elect people. You're a royal priesthood. And notice here we're kingly priesthood. And a holy nation a peculiar, or people who belong to God, a peculiar people, or people who belong to God, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Here's the picture of people who are, what are they doing? They're being called out. They're coming out of the dark, and they're coming to the light. I, I, I don't know if I told, what I told this morning about some of that, or talked about it. I tell so much, I don't know what I didn't tell. But uh, when I was a born in the country, I had my grandpa's lantern. We'd go down at 4.30 in the morning. I'd go in the barn, open the barn door, and hang that lantern on a nail inside the barn. When I'd open the door, all the rats, all the possums and raccoons and snakes started heading out of the barn. They didn't want the light. They were The light repelled those creatures. But when I'd hang that lantern and let it go, in a little while, the, the, uh, the uh, camouflage, the moths would be drawn to that light. And then they'd be gathering around. You'd see them swarm around that thing for along a bunch of bugs. And so the light had drawn some things and repelled others. That's the way light does. And when you think about the fact that what we're seeing here is a picture of people being drawn out of the light and coming to walk in the light. I don't know if I said this this morning about my friend Terry knocking on his door at 4 o'clock in the morning. I might have told that to you. But, uh, you know, I, 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 he, I knocked on the door and, and, uh, and nothing happened. I think I told that, didn't I? 
Okay, when well, I knocked on the door, nothing happened, and I knocked again. And so finally I heard this, ah, boom. I thought, what in the world is going on? It's like somebody got murdered when I knocked on the door. And so I, I stood there. Well, finally he opened the door. He said, Gary, what you need? I said, oh, buddy, I said, I need a place to stay. I'm cutting through. I need a, need a place to bed down. Just lay on the carpet there on the floor at night, and then I'll be out of your way. And I said, what happened, old buddy? I knocked on the door, and I heard some awful racket and crashing and carrying on. He said, well, when you knocked on the door, I didn't want to wake all the kids up. So he said, I thought I'd just come to the door in the dark. And so he said, I headed out along, across the living room. He said, I didn't know the cat was sleeping in the middle of the living room. He said, I stepped on the cat's tail, and the cat squalled and jumped up and clawed me, and I jumped up and hit the chandelier and like to kill myself. He said, if you run around in the dark, you're going to kill yourself. And let me tell you, that is the fact. If you try to run out here around in this world in the dark, you're going to kill yourself. God is trying to call us. Come out of the dark. Come up here. In, in John 3 and verse 19. Come and let your deeds be exposed. People who don't want their deeds exposed, they do evil. They run away from the light. But people who want their deeds exposed have that kind of attitude. I want to see the truth. I want to know the truth. I might not like it, but I want to see it. I want to be able to decide for myself what I'm going to do. And I'm going to tell you, it's not Jesus on trial night. It's you and me. Jesus has proven himself. He is the tried stone who has already proven himself we're the ones who are being tested tonight. Are you going to believe Jesus? Are you going to obey Jesus? If He tells you to come tonight and obey the gospel, are you going to do it or not? It's not that you're rejecting Him. You're being tested and you are being disallowed by God because you rejected the stone that God wanted you to build your life on. And He says to us in verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now Obtain mercy. Of course, this is a statement from the Old Testament where in the book of Hosea where God, those people were not His people, but God accepted them and received them. And God taught the people something about life and taught the prophet Hosea about that because he married a woman who didn't love him and had children by somebody else. Can you imagine? I've talked to some people who had marriage trouble and, and they found out after being married a while their children were not from their partner that they were married to. And how that broke the heart of somebody to find out those years they were married that they had gone somewhere else to have children. And God knows how that feels because every prodigal child is God's child. And if you're not a Christian tonight, my friend, and you haven't built your life on this living stone, and you haven't become a part of one of the stones that fit in here together, each one of us making up this spiritual house so God can dwell, Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 20, the apostles of the, of the and Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the apostles of the, the foundation. And here we are as a living temple, holy temple, that God might dwell in each one of us. That's what He wants tonight. He wants us to be that kind of a people. He wants us to put Jesus where He belongs, and He wants us to view this church the way He views it. And don't you dare try to tear it up or destroy it or do something destructive to it. You make sure you're doing everything within your power to save the souls of people that are here and to value and to treasure them, to see them like God sees them. Each person here tonight has on their priestly robes. And we're a holy people, you see, trying to serve God the way God says. That's what we're about. If you're tonight, my friend, you've never obeyed the gospel, we're wanting you to come do that. You young people, there might be some that need to obey the gospel. You need to think about that. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you're not a part of this holy nation, this holy priesthood, this royal priesthood. Tonight you can come, become a child of God. I, I, I remember, 
I, I, I try to always remember when I obeyed the gospel. I, I've told this many times about when I, I went to church one Wednesday night. I knew I was lost and I'd, I'd stumbled onto the church accidentally and began to realize what it was about. And I knew I needed to be baptized. I told the preacher I needed to be baptized. He said, well, we need to talk about this. I'm not sure you understand what you're doing. And I, I was certain that he just thought I was mixed up. And so he said, we'll have to wait. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to go back on Sunday and make this old boy baptize me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to. Uh, he said to me, he said, what do you want? I said, I'm here to be baptized and stuff like that. Now, I didn't know the lingo and I didn't know what all was involved, but I was willing to do I didn't care what it was. I was going to do whatever it took. I was excited and thrilled because I knew God was going to forgive me and accept me as a terrible sinner. But I went back on Sunday morning during the invitation. I went forward and Preacher leaned over. He said, well, "Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what it means to be a Christian and to be baptized? What it's all about?" I said, "I may not know much about it, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm here to be baptized and stuff like that." And he said, "Well, calm down, calm down. We'll baptize you." And I said, "Well, when you baptize me, when I come up out of the water, I'm going to shout hallelujah." He said, "You better calm down. People think you're a nut already." <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I try to never forget the excitement of coming out of the dark and not knowing much at all. But having the heart to want to do what God wanted me to do. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. If we can get that in the heart of these people, we'll get through all this together. If you're here tonight and you have that kind of heart, why don't you come and obey the gospel and sing the song?